You're listening to Luxury Insider, a podcast that highlights the hottest trends and innovations in the world of luxury, hosted by Invent Lux. Hit that subscribe button now so you don't miss an episode. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hi, everyone, and thanks for tuning in. I'm your host, Tim Fitch, and welcome to our Luxury Insider podcast. Today, we'll be diving into all sorts of interesting topics associated with our guest, who today is Jenny Holloway. So welcome to the podcast, Jenny. And can you give our listeners a little introduction about yourself? Okay, so first of all, thank you very much, Tim. Um, Lovely that's called It's a Luxury Podcast. I've never heard it called that before, so thank you very much. Um, I'm the CEO and founder of Fashion Enter Limited, which is a social enterprise. We actually have two main aims. Uh, one is very much about education, uh, learning skills, especially technical skills and development. And then the other side is to be a centre of, of um, excellence for garment manufacturing and production. So that includes design, sampling, pattern making, uh, grading all the way through. And we have various sites. We have three factories within London. We have a factory in Wales, and we've just recently opened uh, an academy in Leicester. We have a workshop in Islington, and we also have a retail shop in Islington too. Apart from that, not much going on. No, it's very quiet, yes. Well, that's why um, I'm only 27. I've had a hard life. Oh, look at me. I'm 23. <laughs> you know. uh, Jenny, great. Welcome. I mean, there's lots to talk about there, but I mean, maybe we should start with. Um, I mean, how, how you've obviously founded your own business. You've been in the the fashion and retail uh, industries, I guess, for some time. Steady. Speak, speaking as a yeah, for someone who's 27, of course. Uh, <laughs> speaking as someone who. I was in the corporate world, not in fashion, but in another industry for many years. And the transition into being becoming a a, a, a sort of a blooming uh, entrepreneur. What was the trigger for you? Actually, the the real trigger was um, I was I was told to buy um, I, I was told to buy a jodper. I was a senior buyer at the Arcadia Group and I was told to buy a jodper. And I said, it won't sell. We've done a trial. It won't sell. We should be buying a ski pant with a detachable stirrup. And they said, no, listen to me. I, I basically know better. So I bought something like 5,000 joppers and 1,000 of the stirrup. And of course, the, the stirrup um, sold out. The jopper was a complete dog. I was called in. Why did you buy so many? Like, why, why did you? And I just thought, well, I can't do this. And, and it, for a while, I was thinking about the politics, you know, you, you can't always be yourself. And I find it quite hard not to be truthful. You know, my, my, my dad always used to say to me, if you haven't got your word in life, you've got nothing. And integrity is so important, you know, whether it's professionally or personally. And I just thought, do you know what, I, I just can't do that. No, no money in the world's worth swallowing what you think is, is the wrong thing to do. I think there's a lot of parallels with my own experience. Yeah, I got fed up being told what to do mm. by people I didn't agree with. Yeah. That, that's the problem. And if you don't respect them, you know, and to be fair, you know, there was a great team at Arcadia. I, I couldn't knock them. But 
I always thought I would work for myself, even when I was younger. You know, I, I always wanted to do things. And, and also it's great to rattle the status quo, you know, and, and just keep on reaching for the stars. Yeah, well, we're going to agree with each other. We keep, because uh, <laughs> you know, that's, I mean, it's, it's, it's very interesting. I mean, maybe we should leave that for a, another podcast. But the, the, the driver behind uh, some of the people we meet who are entrepreneurs, uh, it, there's some really common threads. And of course, we found a few already. But so when you started Fashion Enter, as you mentioned in your intro, the, the, there's several threads to that. You've got the, the sampling, the production, just can you tell me a little bit more about that? Well, when we started, actually, um, I didn't have any money. Um, I had a few shares, actually, which I cashed in. I think I had about £8,000 at the time. That was back in 2006. And my husband had gone skiing. And I'd, I'd been mulling through this shop I'd seen in Croydon. And I'd driven this guy called David Parham, absolutely insane, saying, you know, it, it's secondary location, it's a really poor position, let me have it, I can do this for it, I can do that. And I did drive the guy mad and he said, go on, he said, have it for a year, see what you can do. By the time my husband came back from skiing, I'd opened the shop. I'd done the shop fit, I'd moved in. I mean, I met my husband when I was 15, so he should have known better. Um, and um, it was hard work. We'd, I'd just finished a project for government, which was called the London Fashion Forum, and we had lots of connections in the designer world. And so we had goodwill. We opened a shop, we had lots of collections in there. We took a 20% commission and we traded. So that's how the company started. Just got going. It got going, you know, it was very scary because shop sales weren't that brilliant. But actually, what it did give me was an insight to what was missing. So we were recommending factories to the designers and, and then designers would ring me on a Saturday in floods of tears. You recommended this company. I've lost everything. What are you going to do about it? And again, this sort of word is your bond and genuinely feeling awful that this company had let them down and it was completely outside of our control. I decided to open a very small sampling unit, five people. And that's how we got into manufacturing. So in a way, it was customer demand, but there was this element of where well, you wanted to help them, I guess. Yeah, I mean, we genuinely wanted to help, you know, we wanted to support designers. And um, when we sort of got into that manufacturing and making things, I absolutely loved it. You know, I, I loved the challenges that, that were created. We had no staff. We had to move. We were in Croydon at the time. We moved to Harringay because that's where the manufacturing cluster was. But I think um, I've always sort of had that. Um, I've, I've always believed that it's better to have tried and failed than not have tried at all. Like I don't want a what if with my life. I, I would I would prefer failure over regret. Yeah, I think that's a good watchword. Because, uh, you know, you can pick yourself up from a failure, but if you regret something, but you never did. Yeah, like, like what, why are we here, Tim? Like, why are we here if we don't make the most of every minute of every day? No, you're quite right. So you've got your, your sampling manufacturing uh, uh, unit in Haringey. And how did that, how did that then develop? So we were making samples for designers and we were doing well. Um, you know, I worked out what my break even was. I knew what um, what we had to turn over. And then we were very good payers uh, for our workforce. Um, and then that attracted more people. So then I went out for more business. 
And then I had a little bit of luck because I contacted uh, ASOS and I was aware that they were making press samples. So I said, why don't we make the press samples for you? You know, we'll turn them round. And they gave me a 5,000 a week contract. So they gave me stability. For the first time we had stability. So um, we didn't let them down. We made beautiful garments for their press, uh, for their buyers. And then um, I had a fortuitous conversation with Nick Robertson, who was the CEO at the time. And, you know, a very great guy, very charismatic. And I said to him a throwaway comment. I said, you know, it's great what ASOS is doing. I said, but the time's going to come when you need your own factory. And, and that will give you greater speed and reliability and transparency. And he said, oh, what a great idea. How much do you think it will cost? And what did I know? But that I knew that was a golden moment. I knew that was just like the light bulb was, was going. So I said, I think it's a quarter of a million. And he said, OK, leave that with me. And then I think about a month later, we had a, um, a grant of £235,000. And that's how we started the factory. And, you know, there's one mantra for anybody. If you don't ask, you don't get, you know, it. And it, it could have been a wild assertion. And if it had been, I would have gone back. I said, you know what, it, it's going to be less. Uh, not that that would have been a good business decision, but you know, we we just went for it. And then um, the new, well, the, the, the replacement CEO from Nick Robertson was Nick Byton, who actually is the most amazing CEO. He also supported us and then supported the Technology Academy, the Stitching Academy, the Tailoring Academy. You know, so if you're good and you can deliver, and, I, and when I say good, I don't mean me, I mean my team. If, if you say what you're going to do and you deliver it and you can have it with positivity and a smile on your face, that opens up more and more opportunities. Well, it does. I mean, there's nothing like adding value for people, is it? I mean, that's yeah. that's really what business is all about, B2B. So that so you've got this amazing, I mean, to get that backing from ASOS is just amazing. Um, how, how did that then, how did the education piece fit in under that? Because you, you're, you're making samples, you've got a factory for longer runs. How did that morph into, because I mean, you're involved with the Fashion Technology Academy now, you, you do mentoring, all sorts of things internally. How did, how did that develop? It was just noticing that it was a skill gap. So uh, in our London factories, 90% of all of our machinists are East European. And uh, we, we, there's just no succession planning. Um, and, and also um, stitching skills is very good for people we've got, who may have mental health issues. It's a very calming pastime. So we started to look at um, the qualifications that were offered in stitching and actually they were rubbish. So we decided to write our own qualifications, which we did with ABC Award, which is now called SEG, Skills Education Group. And um, we've heard that the best selling um, qualification for them is the level one, and the level two stitching, stitching um, qualifications. So there's more and more demand for stitchers, you know, designers want to make their own collections, women at home making their own garments and garment manufacturing within the UK. And I'm, I'm astounded that, that stitching, sewing, this is good for people's mental health as well. Yes, I mean, if you think about it, you know, men mental health, it, it's such a huge area now, but 
if somebody has got poor mental health, you know, they, they may be reflecting backwards, that they, they may be delusional, they, they may be bipolar. But if you think about what stitching does, you know, you're, you have to be present. You're using an industrial machine in our case, so you have to pay attention. You have to learn how to thread, you know, and that's a very systematic process. You know, if there's only one way to thread a machine. And then when you start stitching, you know, the, the, guard, the, the fabrics have been put together, you're stitching, and it's quite methodical as well. And, and, it, and the way that we work, we're not a normal college, you know, we're like a community centre. So we, we are incredibly friendly, we've got lots of tutors and support there, and we let people be themselves, we don't judge them. So we, we work with quite hard to reach learners, and we like that. We, we like giving them skills. We've done videos on Fashion Capital YouTube where, you know, this one woman said, you, you've saved my life. And and actually, in that particular case, we did. You know, her, her daughter wrote to us and said, you, you have saved my mother's life. She was so depressed. And that's a great part of being a social enterprise. I mean, it's not often I sit here and I nearly fell off the chair. I mean, I had no idea that you could, that this was such a powerful, it was almost like a therapy Oh, it is, yeah, and and we don't just we don't just teach either, you know. So we do well-being seminars. So there's a great guy called Eric Gilston, and we bring him in, and we talk about coaching skills, and we we just support. I mean, we've literally yesterday we gave away 300 ponchos to the homeless that we make that that are local to us, and we got our learners to help us, you know. So they're helping other people. And I, I do believe in kindness and play it forward. You know, as I said before, like, why are we on this earth if, if we can't do some good? Well, I have to say I'm, a, I'm almost flabbergasted. I just, I would never have made that connection. So it's amazing. Well, but actually, we're, we're hoping, I mean, I can't say too much, but we, we've reached out to the Maudsley, uh, which is the, the world's psychiatric leading hospital. And we've, we've reached out to them for a special project. So we're waiting to hear on that. Perhaps we can do podcast number two next year. I can tell you about that. <laughs> but I did see some hints on uh, LinkedIn, I think, that there was something coming. So uh, have I got a scoop almost? <laughs> yes. Yeah, you have. Yeah, we haven't gone live with this. <laughs> see. I have to say, that's just, that's just been amazing on the education. Now, but you're, you're not just in London now with this, because I've seen you've got the Leicester Fashion Technology Academy that you're involved with. Is that an offshoot or something completely separate? So we were asked by uh, Leicester City Council to apply for a bid for, it's called the FCFTA Leicester, um, and just to replicate what we're doing, uh, because it, it does work, you know, and we put people into jobs as well, that, you know, so you have an outcome that's, that's measurable. Uh, and that launched, um, officially launched November the 30th, where um, the, the Mayor of Leicester, Peter Salisbury, um, announced the opening along with councillor Adam Clark, and that's great. I mean, this is a completely different community. Um, there are many, many Asians within the Leicester community, and they had this real desire to do well. Um, and we're working with workers' rights and labour exploitation, so everybody knows their rights there. You know, there's been quite a lot of adverse press in Leicester about being paid three pounds an hour. Uh, we're working with the factories. Uh, with the Community Renewal Fund. Uh, we're looking at giving them stability of orders by having an e-commerce website. There's lots of things that we're doing in Leicester. 
And of course, that's another cluster for garment manufacturer. It's huge, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it's huge. And you know, the, there's a poster that we've got in the um, the academy, and it says it says uh, Leicester closed the world, and it used to be enormous. And you know, we we would like to think that we'll be able to put that back on a path again, where it can substantially grow and it's ethical and sustainable as it can be. Because the whole ethics. Uh, agenda in the, the garment sector has really come to the fore now. I've seen many, many uh, much discussion around ethical sourcing. And I know your factory and sampling units, it's got the, uh, is it the responsible sourcing? Yes, yeah, so, so we've got, an, there's an audit that's called Fast Forward, and it's sort of been set up by the retailers really. So you have to be invited to attend to be audited. And I believe I'm right in saying that we're the only factory in the UK that's got a leading status. Um, you know, we, we've had, I've always thought if you're going to do something, do it properly. Like what's the, what's the point of bodging it? Because it never, it never works properly. So it probably took us, oh my God, a, a good three or four years to make the factory really work. And there was a lady called Jill Banger who was absolutely fantastic at helping us with compliance and gave us deep foundations. And then there's a lady that was at um, ASOS at the time called Sophie Glover, and uh, she, she was equally as fantastic. So, you know, we had a really good start and I was very determined that we wouldn't we, we, we wouldn't make do like it, it had to be done properly. And that's put us in really good stead now. It's. Of course, that's around uh, the sourcing, but there's a there's a big movement now, isn't it, around the circular economy in fashion and textiles and mm. getting people to sell sell on their garments rather than throw them away, all sorts of. Yeah, it's it's massive actually, Tim. What, what is going on in the industry? I, I think you now I have been 35 years in the industry, and this is a phenomenal change. Now, it, it I've never seen anything like it. And it's a period of great instability. We we are um, quite um, innovative, um, and, and we're not scared to have a go. So about a year ago, I was on um, a Zoom meeting, and I came across a guy called Scott Walton, who's from Cornet, which is um, they're based in Tel Aviv, and they're the largest digital printers in the world. And I, we just got chatting, and basically, they he had or he works for a company. Um, and it's got the most ethical printer in the world called Presto. And you can print one meter of fabric. You could pre print 15,000 meters, but you, it allows for printing on demand. So normally there is a minimum print run of about 500 meters. And with this system, you can change the prints every two meters, every one meter, every half a meter. It can print on any fabric base, which is unbelievable. And it uses no water. Right, so this is so sustainable and it's a serious piece of kit and obviously it's very expensive. And, and basically, as of today, you know, we, we are um, showcasing our learners on how to use Presto. So we have the machine um, and we've also got, um, for training purposes, the, an Atlas machine, which is printing T-shirts. And then we've got this Zund cutter. Um, which is from Switzerland. Um, again, we're showcasing that to our learners and it cuts out 
a pattern piece. So you can print the fabric, like one meter. You can then, it moves along to Zund and it automatically cuts it out. And then the machinist can make one garment. So instead of making thousands and thousands of garments that get discounted, they go into landfill, you can now make to consumer demand. And we can turn that around in a 24 hour, 48 hour cycle. I mean, the, the, this is revolutionary for, for the whole so of the, the industry. So the vision, I guess, is that someone can look at something on a website, order it. The factory literally makes it to order and they get yeah. it a few days later. That's it. Yeah. So that brings me to, but the one bit about that is the sizing. And I know you've been involved in, uh, was it the National UK Sizing Survey, which is trying to establish what a size 10 really means? There was a survey in 2000, 2001, where the UK government worked with UK retailers and they were trying to you know, look at what is a size 10, what is a size 12, what are the body shapes, but it was pretty inconclusive, except to say that the, the woman's form has grown bigger over over the years. And, you know, we, we're more of a pear shape now rather than a, a Raquel Welsh bending in the right directions. Um, and, you know, we, we weren't very happy with that. Like we, we thought it could be much better. And because we supply lots of different retailers, we, we know that a fair percentage of returns is because they don't fit properly. You know, so we'd made a decision in 2017 to uh, create Bells of London, which was going to be our in-house brand, but we wanted it to fit beautifully. You know, we really had to make sure that we understood body shapes. So what we did, we, we got friends, customers, uh, staff, we measured so many people. And and as a result of that, we, we concluded uh, by 2019, 2020, that there were seven definitive shapes of, of a female form. And, you know, without that information, we could not have done Bells of London. You know, it, it was uh, transformational and it was right for sustainability. But the whole point of us doing that was we did not want to contribute to landfill and we wanted beautiful garments that would fit using very good fabrics that would last the test of time. Oh, that, that's really really interesting but is there some next step which perhaps you know somebody takes a photograph and that goes to your factory where you make the garments specifically for a particular person so you actually capture their exact shape yes yeah, so that, that's sort of like body scanning i mean the, there are um, apps now available where you can actually take pictures and move it around you so you can actually get shape and form um, and it's not there yet, actually. You know, you've got to put all the end-to-end -end parts together. But we, that's that's sort of our next project that we're working to at the moment. So that all sounds. That's, I mean, that sounds really exciting. So you've got the fantastic printing technology, the cutting, obviously, you can then create the fabric. But I suppose the input design could be absolutely bespoke to a particular yes. person. And we'll work towards that. You know, wouldn't it be great that you can say, I want that V-neck, I want a long sleeve, I want it fitted and flared, and I want it mid-calf length. And you put all the elements together, you press the button, you can put a print on there, press the button, send, pay for the item, and then it's sent to you 48 hours later. I mean, that's where we're going. That That's going to be the new retail. Yeah, it's exciting. 
That is exciting. Jenny, that's been uh, a really terrific um, discussion. I've um, I've learned an awful lot. I'm absolutely over the moon that yeah that <laughs> people do it. No, I was going to say sewing, but the stitching mm. is actually a therapy as well mm. as a, a, a job and a profession. I've never put that two and two together, but that has been a real revelation for me. And it's obviously a happy one, isn't it, for people? That if, if you ever want to go, Tim, just let me know. Well, I'd love to have a look around one of your facilities, but, you know, sometime after Christmas, hopefully when Omnicrom's fizzled out or we've all had it. <laughs> anyway, on that note, uh, I'd better wrap up this conversation. It's been very insightful, as I've just said. So thank you very much for joining me today, Jenny. And to all of our listeners today, thank you for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. If you did, please push the subscribe button, which will be down there somewhere. Turn on your notifications so that you don't miss any of our future episodes. And please give us a five star review, as of course this helps us uh, promote the podcast. And with that, I'll see you all next time. Bye. Bye. Thank you, Tim. Have a lovely Christmas. Right, I'll stop the recording now. So that's true. That was. Uh... Thank you for watching Luxury Insider. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and give us a five star review. Like, comment, and share it with someone who'd find value in it too. Head on over to our website at www.inventlux.com to learn more, and we'll see you on the next episode.